And this morning we're looking at James chapter 5, verses 7 through verse 11. Once again, listen now to uh, the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets, who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. And you have heard of the perseverance of Job, and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let's seek this, the Lord's blessing on His holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do rejoice and give thanks for Your word. We acknowledge that Your word is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage and we see the truth that is here, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us to help us understand. And that even as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray, Lord, that it would go forth and find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil, which will bring about a great and abundant fruit, all for your glory, honor, and praise. And so we ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm sure you've heard the saying that patience is a virtue. That is, patience is a a special quality that reflects strength and, and sincerity of character. Patience is truly something desirable. And yet, it seems as though many do not possess this patience. One reason for this is because of the emphasis, perhaps, in our, our culture and society that places on instant gratification. Right? We, we want to be able to do what we want when we want it and not have to wait for it. And whether it's, uh, whether it's food or pleasure or entertainment or technology, we want speedy, even instantaneous delivery. The foolish wisdom of the world seems to be trying to make a virtue out of impatience by pushing these things. But what about in the church? Too often, that worldly wisdom that is in the world spills over into the church, and we find ourselves impatient. Impatient with ourselves, impatient with others, and even at times perhaps impatient with God as we can sometimes grow weary seeking answer to our prayers. But even though we're susceptible to being impatient, unlike the world, we do tend to admire those who are patient. And indeed we still see patience as a virtue even though it may elude us. Friends, patience isn't out of our grasp. Patience 
isn't a characteristic intended only for a few well-seasoned saints. It's a virtue that God calls each and every one of us to possess. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit that belongs to all who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it's a Spirit in us, at work in us, that will produce this fruit of patience. Indeed, no surprise then that James addresses this patience in our passage this morning. We all must be patient. And by God's grace, we can be patient if only we would trust the Lord to work it out in us, even as we would seek to submit our wills to His perfect and holy will. Now, I know some maybe think about patience and you want patience, you want to be more patient, and and you think about praying for patience and there's maybe a reluctance to pray for patience. Because we know that if we pray for patience, oftentimes that means that the Lord will present us with various trials and suffering and things to endure. And while that's often true, we need to understand that patience isn't just a a passive activity of of just sitting back and, and kind of grudgingly enduring these kinds of negative circumstances. But as James goes on to tell us here, that the true virtue of patience actually lies in anticipating the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the ushering in of the fullness of His kingdom. And that truly is a sight whose joyful eternal glory far surpasses the few brief moments of suffering and affliction that we endure in this life. And so as we consider then this patience, the first thing that we want to establish is regardless of whether we have patience or not, and regardless of whether we want them or not, we know that trials and suffering will indeed come our way. Times of pain and affliction, grief and loss, discouragement and persecution will come to us Because we're sinners, and we're surrounded by sinners, and we live in a fallen and sinful world. And so no one is immune from these difficulties. They affect all people. And especially for the one who professes faith in Jesus Christ, we know for a fact that trials will come to us because Jesus Himself has promised that they would come. Matthew 13, Jesus says, Watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. When they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now those to whom James is writing knew this full well. We considered before that many likely have even lived it. 
Some of these perhaps believers that James is writing to had once been in Jerusalem and they, they fled because of the outbreak of persecution against the followers of Jesus by this bloodthirsty Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, as we read about in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And they fled to all these various Jewish communities in the Mediterranean region seeking a new life with hopes of starting over with their now newfound faith. But suffering, trials, and persecutions have found them once again. And seemingly this oppression is coming from fellow Jews and uh, the ones that they look to for refuge and help. And this would likely include the wealthy landowners whom James had just condemned back in the first six verses of chapter 5. Perhaps these landowners promised jobs and, and a steady income, but, but now they have turned on these refugees and they're taking advantage of them. They're withholding their pay and they're oppressing them. And so these refugees, instead of finding help and relief, have now only found more suffering. And again, we remember that this was an issue that James uh, one of the reasons why he was writing to them was because they were suffering and being persecuted. At the beginning of the, of the book in chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, back then in chapter 1, his point was uh, to remind the people of, of God's sovereignty, that, that God is able to use even uh, trials and suffering for their good and for His glory. And indeed, the greatest good that suffering brings, often the, even the very purpose why the Lord allows us to endure such difficult and trying, trying times, is so that we would become more and more like Jesus Christ. So that we truly be formed and fashioned after His perfect likeness. See, God often uses uh, trials in our lives to kind of uh, chip away at, at all the rough edges of our character. He uses it to, uh, to help us to destroy our pride. And He uses trials and suffering to smash to pieces all the idols of our hearts. Through trials, we're ultimately driven to trust the Lord more fully and we're pressed to grow in holiness and sanctification so that indeed we one day will be like Christ, perfect and complete in holiness. Well, James now returns to this important truth. But his concern here, toward the end of his letter, isn't just our sanctification now in this life. But you see, now he's urging patience and endurance as we anticipate our glorification at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. James says here in verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then again in verse 8 he says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, when we think of patience, especially during trials and suffering, we may only think of passively enduring whatever it is that we have to deal with. 
kind of begrudgingly just resigning ourselves to just let it roll over us. And at best, hoping it's not going to last too long, right? That's oftentimes we think about patience. Well, we just got to get through it. But this isn't the kind of patience that James is talking about here. James is referring to an active commitment to press on and to endure and even count it all joy as you look to the Lord for grace and strength to persevere and even overcome in anticipation of something much better. Notice the subtle but important shift that James has made here. He's acknowledged their suffering. He knows that they face many trials. But he doesn't dwell on their present circumstances. Instead, he urges them to be patient as he points them to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, such a a shift in thinking and experience is critical even as we would face our own afflictions and trials, right? Oftentimes, we go through these times and we're focused on ourselves and how much it's hurting us and bothering us. And again, anticipating and, and hoping it doesn't last too long. But James is saying, no, don't focus on yourself. Focus on Christ. And so this, this kind of shift in thinking it first reminds us, reminds us that our heart and mind should always be centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? James has pushed this point repeatedly. When we think about the idolatry of self, that must be put to death, and instead we must then put on Christ, living for Him and His glory first and foremost. And this doesn't mean that we ignore our sufferings or that we become so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. No, not at all. What we do in this life truly matters. And how we live should certainly reflect that truth. So we show our love and gratitude to God by doing what He commands, including loving our neighbors as ourselves. Indeed, we have much to do in this life. But we should always keep at the forefront of our hearts and minds who it is that we actually serve. Not ourself, although that's our natural inclination, but in Christ we're called to serve Him and to serve our glorious God. We're to call and to serve the one who has truly saved us and redeemed us. And so we're reminded of that when we make this shift, when we're thinking about our trials and our suffering. We're also uh, to be reminded of the brevity of this life in comparison to eternity. Again, James reminded of this back in chapter 4, verse 14. He says that our life is, is just a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Right? Life is short. Our circumstances in this life can quickly change. From one moment to the next. Friends, eternity lasts forever. And this is why we ought not to hoard treasures on the earth. As as James also instructed uh, there uh, in the end of chapter 4. Or in uh, in the first part of chapter 6 or 5. Instead we should seek to build our treasure in heaven. 
because it's not going to pass away or be destroyed, those heavenly treasures. And so this shift in thinking and living is going to remind us of this great truth. And so James urges here that we must be patient. We must actively endure the trials and suffering that come our way in this life. We must press on through these difficulties in our service to Christ because we know that Jesus Christ is coming again, that His return is surely near. And this knowledge gives us great hope and confidence, even as it would to whom James is here writing. Because we know that when Christ returns, all things will be made right. The oppressors, even as we sang about in in Psalm 59, and and the, the plea of the psalmist, the plea of the Lord Jesus Christ, the oppressors will be served with perfect justice. And these momentary afflictions that we endure in this life will be gone forever. And there will be nothing when compared to the glory that waits in the eternal life to come. And this really is the true virtue of patience. It isn't just passively waiting, doing nothing as you let the trials and struggles of this life just kind of run over you. But it's as James says in verse 8, to establish your hearts or to stand firm. Against that that military language of, of holding the line. As you actively anticipate and even pursue the glory that's to come at the return of Jesus Christ. And He will come. The prophet Hosea reminds us of this in Hosea 6.3. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. You see, it's this imagery that James picks up here in verse 7. And he talks about the farmer, the farmer who patiently waits for the precious fruit of the soil. He has to trust in God's faithfulness to send the early and late rain so that the crops will grow. I know some farmers, having spent 15 years pastoring a rural congregation, surrounded by farmers, and they're not always patient. But they typically do know their limitations. They know what's in their control and what isn't. They know that they can't turn off the rain in the spring and they can't turn it back on again in August when it's dry and hot. They acknowledge that they're at the mercy of the elements and the the Lord. And yet... Regardless of what the weather is, that the harvest might vary in, in quali- quantity and quality. Of course, they want, what they want the, the best harvest and a, and a great abundance. But regardless of what the harvest is going to be, they know this. The harvest will actually come. And for this, they eagerly anticipate and look forward. Whether that harvest is going to be plentiful or, or very light. They know it's going to come. See, they can't change the circumstances. But they're challenged to walk in faith and trust that God is faithful to provide what is needed to bring about the harvest and the precious produce of the soil. 
Well, James here urges his readers to imitate this kind of patience. Again, despite the circumstances, despite trials and hardships that we may face, we ought not to get caught up worrying about what we have no control over. But we're to press on and we're to display a faith that's living and active as it anticipates the fullness of joy at the precious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord calls us to do. To have this kind of active patience anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But James has another charge here in verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now you read through chapter 5 and beginning at verse uh, 7 as we've done. You're reading 7 and 8, okay, patience. And then there's this verse about grumbling against one another. And then uh, in verse 9 and then verse 10 jumps back to patience. And it seems a little odd that there's this break in the rhythm of Jane's current theme on patience that he just kind of then interrupts and then picks up again in the next verse. So what, if anything, is the connection to grumbling, complaining about brothers? What does that have to do with patience? Well, friends, consider your own experience. When you're struggling with circumstances that are beyond your control, difficult circumstances, when you're faced with pain and and trials, even persecution and, and abuse by others, when you're finding it difficult to be patient in the midst of all the upheaval, uh, the chaos, the interruptions, the mishaps, the breakdowns, and the suffering that everyday life can bring, what's one of the greatest temptations that you're faced with at that time? And there's many, perhaps, but is not at least one of them to then become impatient with others? even with those who may be facing the same unpleasant circumstances, or even with those who are totally removed from the particular trials or suffering that you're experiencing? Enduring hardship and and suffering under pressure can very easily spill over into our personal relationships, affecting our spouses, our, our parents, our children, and even our brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a rough day at work. And you come home and maybe you snap at your spouse or your children. It's kind of the common classic example. When the pressure's on, again, patience with others wears thin. And you have very little tolerance for anything or for anyone. Being short-fused or short-tempered is the opposite of being patient. And for those to whom James is writing, it seems as though the oppression they were experiencing from others outside the fellowship was beginning to weary them. So that they started to even turn on one another, grumbling and complaining and griping and moaning about one another, showing little patience and tolerance and very little love toward their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, looking at it this way, well, the connection becomes quite clear. See, if you aren't patient with the circumstances around you, 
well then it's very likely that you're going to struggle with patience with the people around you. Even those who are closest to you. And so the implication of the charge here is a caution to not take your frustration out on others. To exercise self-control and to maintain a loving, understanding, patience and kindness toward others. But why? Why is this such a big deal? So, so you lose it once in a while, right? Don't, don't we all just lose it once in a while? Isn't that okay? Doesn't everybody do that? Why is this such a, a big deal? Well, again, James here shifts the focus. And this time he's shifting the focus off of the, the particular conflict and the pressure or the, the circumstances once again on to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Christ is surely coming to bring justice to the oppressed and, and to bring perfection and eternal joy and glory to His people. And so we go through diff these difficult times and we can uh, patiently look for that and anticipate that. But we also remember that Christ is coming to be the righteous judge of all the earth. And James warns, do not grumble. Why? Lest you be condemned. And then he says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now here James is perhaps recalling the words of Jesus. In Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus says, But I say to you, that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word spoken will be given accounted to before God on the day of judgment. James had warned earlier about the need to tame the tongue. The destructive and hurtful words come forth very quickly. Well, grumbling and complaining about your brother in Christ, especially when there's no cause except your own impatience, well, that's speaking a careless word. And you'll have to give an account of such things on the last great day. In fact, James makes this point even sharper when he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And that is, he's right there. He's walking in, in the middle of your conversation. He's hearing you berate your fellow believer. He's seeing your lack of patience, your lack of grace and mercy, and your lack of love for them. If you have to give an account for such careless words, well, what's going to be your defense? How are you going to argue and, and reason your case on that day? Well, James is here warning, there's no case to be made. Because, and there's no defense because you've sinned. The judge himself has heard you. You didn't love your brother as you should. And you didn't show patience. Even though you were clearly warned. You have to give an account for your impatient and careless words. And so we, so we should strive to be patient. Not only in the midst of our unpleasant circumstances, but also with one another, holding our tongues and being sure to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with a great godly affection. So yes, we're to be patient in life. We're to be patient in our relationships. But the further challenge James now gives 
some examples of those who've been patient and endured many afflictions and yet persevered and endured to the end. He says in verse 10, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Now James doesn't uh, specify which prophets he has in mind, but it's very likely that his readers could quickly come up with several examples, beginning with Moses, who endured much at the hands of the grumbling and complaining Israelites after they were delivered from Egypt. And then there's David who spoke the word of God in song and yet was pursued unjustly by Saul and then he even had his own son rebel against him and seek his life. It was the prophet Elijah who secured a great victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel but then almost immediately after he had to flee and, uh, for his life and hide from the wicked uh, Ahab and Jezebel. We have Daniel's friends who were thrown in the furnace. Daniel himself who was tossed in the lion's den. And then there was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who was given the difficult task of proclaiming the Lord's coming judgment against Jerusalem because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And of course, Jeremiah is in. The Lord tells him early on, they're not going to listen to you, but I'm giving you this message anyway. You need to go and proclaim it. That would have a tall order to fulfill. But Jeremiah did as the Lord commanded. And his calls to repentance were rejected. And at one point, he was even thrown into a well left to die in the thick mud at the bottom. And if it weren't for some of his friends, uh, that he was then delivered. And he was able to escape that certain death. But all these prophets of God endured much. Indeed, the writer to the Hebrews summarizes their suffering and affliction this way. Hebrews 11 verse 35. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They suffered all this because they dared to speak in the name of the Lord. But because they endured, because they were patient and waited with eager anticipation for the glory of God to come they were counted as blessed. And this was the same thing that James reminded his readers of back in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So these prophets, the Christian believers who would come after them, and even those of us here today, we will be blessed if we persevere and press on in the midst of our trials as we await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But James gives another example to further emphasize the idea of a reward for patience and endurance. <clears throat> Second part of verse 11, he says, You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Yes, Job 
right? The great study that we have, again, the great example that God has given us of, of enduring uh, with patience under great trials and suffering. He, Job was a, a faithful and righteous man. He had great wealth. And yet he lost it all. His crops, his flocks, his herds, even his children. You remember what his response was after he lost everything. Job one twenty one. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He trusted in God's plan and purpose. And then later, when his, his own body was afflicted with boils and sores, and, and his wife at that point, who seemed to have really lost patience long before, urged him, look, just, you know, just curse God and die and be done with it. But what did Job confess? Job 2, verse 10. We indeed accept good from God. Shall we not accept adversity? Look, we received all these good things from God. Why ought we not also to send the adversity that He sends as well? Acknowledging again His sovereign control over all things. Well, Job endured through all these trials. And yet he did so barely. Right? Job endured, but he also cursed the day that he was born. And he seemed to be losing patience with his friends who uh, began to offer him uh, poor advice. Job even dared to justify himself before God. And he was on the verge of, of uh, just extolling his self-righteousness before God. So Job certainly was not perfect. But at the same time, Job never lost sight of the true virtue of of patience and endurance. That is, he never lost sight of the Lord. Though his affliction and misery throughout all that, he never cursed God. He never lost his faith. But he pressed on with great patience and perseverance, trusting that God would work it out, even though he himself didn't understand why all this was happening to him. And it's very likely he never understood why God allowed those things to come into his life. Even as we often may not understand or may never understand why God allows the various sufferings and afflictions to come into our lives, except for that purpose, to be formed and fashioned in the perfect image of Christ and to draw us to become dependent upon God and to anticipate and be patient until His glorious return. And of course we know that God richly blessed Job and rewarded him for his active faith, again, not merely with more children and material possessions, but especially with the crown of eternal life and a place of glory and honor with Christ when Christ returns on the last great day. And so indeed, Job looked to the end and he patiently endured. But there's one last example of patience and endurance that James gives here at the end of verse 11. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now certainly this is connected to the account of Job as, as God truly was full of compassion and mercy rewarding Job abundantly. 
It can also even be connected to the vindication of the prophets as all that the prophets prophesied about and for what they are put to death for, God truly brought to pass. Thus vindicating them. But the Lord stands as a separate example of patience and endurance in the midst of suffering because He Himself has endured much suffering through His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, left His position of glory and honor in heaven and humbled Himself, coming in the likeness of a servant, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Suffering the same effects that we do of, of living in a fallen and sinful world, being surrounded by sinners, and yet He Himself had no sin. But He had to put up with all of our shenanigans and all of our sin. And then with great patience, the one through whom all things were created. Right? Christ, it was through Christ, the Word, the living Word of God, that all things were created. And through Him, He suffered unjustly at the hands of sinful men when He was crucified on the cross. And remember that He did all of this for us. For the undeserving sinners like you and me. And all this he steadfastly endured because his eyes, the eyes of Christ our Savior, were firmly on the joy and glory the Heavenly Father had set before him. This one who endured great suffering for us is the same Lord who's full of compassion and mercy and who's being patient with us in our weakness and our failures and our sinfulness. And yet setting before us who believe in Him a great and glorious prize to encourage us in our journey of faith. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews charges in Hebrews 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We're to look to Christ. And what He endured for us. And the great reward that He secured for us. And we are to persevere through the various trials and sufferings. We are to be patient as we await His return and the ushering in of that glorious reward. Beloved of God, this is the true virtue of patience. To truly, even in the midst of trials and intense suffering, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And to look to Him for grace and strength as you patiently endure the afflictions of this life and eagerly await His glorious return on the last great day. And truly may the Spirit of the living God so bless you with this fruit of patience all to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to You for Your truth and Your Word. 
We thank you for this important reminder because oftentimes we do struggle with being patient as we go through various trials and tribulations in this life. But even the thought that these things we endure is just a brief moment of time compared to eternity in your glorious presence. And so we pray that you would give us the grace to bear that fruit of patience. Not just to, oh, I've got to get through this. But that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and his glorious return because we know he is coming. And we await that day with great eagerness and full of joy. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to be mindful of this, these things. We know it's easy to consider them, uh, but it's often at those times when we're in the midst of those trials that we forget. So help us to remember this truth. Impress it upon our hearts. Draw us all closer to yourself. Strengthen us and encourage us that we might be faithful witnesses for your glory in all things. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.